back to A Better World. This is your host, Mitchell J. Rabin, and I'm very glad you're joining us again today. Today we're going to be tackling one of the most challenging issues of our time, and that is, well, our relationship to money. And out of that, of course, comes our relationship to the whole idea of prosperity, of abundance, and at base, you could really say, self-worth. So no matter how you look at it, folks, we're going to be dealing with some pretty meaty matters, some very important subjects that some say money makes the world go round. And uh, we are going to be dealing with someone who is somewhat of an expert on the subject, the author of The Money Anxiety Cure, award-winning Kurosh Astawari from the Bay Area. Kurosh has been a long-time expert entrepreneur in the real estate industry in the Bay Area and has done very, very well for himself. And out of that, he felt that he wanted to share his experience, his knowledge, as well as a sense of inner peace that he later cultivated after much stress, by the way. Uh, that he cultivated through studying at Spirit Rock Dharma Center meditation, mindfulness meditation, which he has been teaching in prisons all for some years now. As a result of this, he has been recently honored in the two, with the 2015 Certificate of Special Recognition by the United States Congress and a Certificate of Recognition by the California State Legislature in part for his public service, that is the work within the North California prison system, as well as for his work within the public sector, helping clients and students cultivate mindfulness, alleviate anxiety, and achieve work-life balance, all along achieving also financial well-being. So it's a real pleasure to have Kodosh with me today, talking with all of you about what his journey has been personally in dealing with a subject that everyone feels anxiety about at one time or another, sometimes a massive amount, sometimes moderate, and sometimes even very little. Well, we can learn about how those degree changes occur and what we can do about that, as well as coming to a greater understanding of what money is to us, what it means and how we can also use it wisely in service to all mankind, all humanity. So, Kodosh, I want to welcome you to A Better World. A pleasure to have you. Oh, Thank you, Mitchell. It's wonderful to be on your show, and thank you for the lovely introduction. Absolutely. You deserve every word of it. You've been recognized not just by Mitchell Rabin at A Better World, but even by our United States Congress. I want to just kudos to you, Mazel Tov, as we say in Chinese. That's really oh, you're very quite sweet. a commendation. Yeah. It's nice really... to get a pat on the back, you know, but really, we're, it we're is, all yeah. in this together. So, you know, thank you, and I'm a <laughs> yes. fan of yours, too, Mitchell, so thank you. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm so glad to have you on. And as you know, I read your book very thoroughly, Kodosh, and I really spent time with it, absorbing it and enjoying it and uh, following the um subtle points that are oftentimes made in it, and I know you make these often in your teaching prisoners and other students 
when teaching uh, mindfulness meditation and the rest. Why don't we first just begin really with a little bit of your own background. It's so interesting. The humble beginnings with which you began life in the United States with your mother. And uh, tell us a little bit about that so we get to know you a little better personally. Yeah, sure. You know, Mitchell, I mean, just like just like so many people who migrated to this wonderful country and had to start from nothing, you know, my mother came with my father and, you know, with three kids. Unfortunately, dad left, and my mom had to raise three kids with no child support. And, you know, back in the 70s, it was really hard. And so she... Mm she had to figure out how to make it, you know, and, and thank God this country offered her that opportunity. I mean, it was very hard for a Persian woman to do much back in Iran back in those days. Um, but yeah. here she got her real estate license, became very successful. And so we watched this woman go from nothing to an amazing powerhouse in the real estate business. And, you know, we, we watched and learned and experienced what it's like to, to, to go from nothing to building up uh, knowledge and wisdom and experience in the local real estate business, um, and, and she also embodied a lot of uh, clarity and focus. And you know, she always emphasized, you know, have integrity, combine it with, you know, of course, hard work, and and make sure you serve your your clients well, and don't be greedy and be generous. And we tried yeah. to follow her footsteps. She's an amazing teacher, but you know, I, I I knew there were many many other layers to this journey of prosperity, and so maybe we can t- touch on that a little bit on this show. Sure, sure. So interesting, and so you um, more than observed her and absorbed her own wisdom, but you also set out on that same track yourself. And what happened yeah. then? You know, I mean, basically, so, you know, I, I realized, uh, again, this amazing country has, has all these great opportunities, but it's, it's, it wasn't just a question of becoming materially wealthy and secure and established, because, you know, no matter, I know for myself how hard I worked and how much I succeeded in the material world, I still felt very empty and very much in poverty. I mean, I, you know, yes. and, and I mean, you can have your material, yeah, you have your material bank account, doing really well but if you're not satisfied and happy and content you know i mean what, what's yeah. what's the use of all that money exactly. and that's when i but of course when we're young karosh you know we tend to look at the world and the terms the world sets and not so much our own because we're still maturing our own and evolving our own set of values and what's important inwardly and what's important outwardly. And we tend to be a little bit more outward-focused and, you know, keeping up with the Joneses or the Ostawaris or whomever, you know. So when you started out in your real estate journey, um, certainly you may have felt spiritually um, empty, but you were also somewhat materially empty because you built this for yourself. Could you talk about that a bit? Yeah, you know, I mean, you, you, you begin, and thank you, Mitchell. I think that's a very good good, good uh, summary of what we all go through as young people growing and maturing. And, and it, it, it both accounts, bank accounts are empty, really, spiritual, material, yeah. and emotional and you know you're you're then having to go on this journey and figure out how to how to achieve in a balanced way a wholesome way you know hopefully both yeah. material and spiritual mental all that but unfortunately i i 
even though I could see it in my mom, I um, was stubborn and went off on my own. And the the world around me was very linear. It was very masculine-oriented, very uh, much mm-hmm. pushing in the direction of material wealth. Yeah. And it it wasn't until in my late 20s that I finally realized, you know what, true wealth, true wealth is a practice of cultivating kind of like both areas of this garden. You know, you've got to grow your tomatoes and then your lettuce and then go out there and, you know, grow your, you know, grow nice apples and yeah. And that's when I really finally realized, you know, it it's it's so important to go inside, you know, go in there and really inquire around um the question of what is true wealth and what what is my unique definition of prosperity that's 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 special to me and and, and your audience yeah. can probably ask the same question we're no different yeah. and and for me it was important to be materially secure because i felt i was in a as an immigrant being in a country where there was the, the underlying tone and message was you have to be successful you have to make it and of course we didn't want to mm-hmm. go back you know right um but i got to right. tell you it it did take a lot of hard work but it more than anything it 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 was the, the the way of finding the balance between those two worlds material spiritual and emotional and all creative as well that was the hardest yeah. yes exactly but you know i would imagine that in your earlier days Karosh, i think it's fair to say that about so many of us uh <clears throat> your wish to sort of make it big so you would be secure so you wouldn't be um reliance on others or a system for that matter uh yeah was really your driving force and i'm wondering about the relationship between the drive for material success and security and the later relationship that you cultivated with your own inner spiritual life and how did the drive, and you must have gotten knocked around a lot because the real estate world is a very difficult one. And how do you see how you're getting tossed about in the one then led to your cultivation of the other? You know, that's a very good question, Mitchell. As you probably know, having done this, been through similar journeys, it's, it's you know, you, yeah. you get fixated on this path and you think this is the right path. And, and in many ways, it, it, it was, you know, being in San Francisco and choosing my mother's footsteps to follow. Mm-hmm. But, there, you know, I, I knew, just like you and members of your audience, that, you know, you, we read, there's something deeper than just achieving material comfort, wealth, success, whatever you want or you call it. And I think for me the 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 underlying theme or story that was running and driving me forward was still not resolved, which was, you know, uh, a story that was incomplete around who I really am in terms of my relationship with money. Um mm-hmm. growing up, you know, uh, I I heard strange stories from my mother and father. I mean, dad had a a, a weird story around, you know, money is the root of all evil. So I took that in. Uh, mm. My mom was like, you've got to hang on to money. Money is, if you don't have it, you're nothing. And so I was torn between these two worlds, and I bought into those stories. Yes. And and everyone's got their own story. We all grew up hearing as children or witnessing certain relationships and behaviors around money. And I think a lot of times those play themselves out. They both played themselves out in my life. One was, let me hang on, and it was, no, push it away. One was, you know, continue to accumulate money through real estate. And the other one was, no, you know, let it all go and be a monk. 
But at the end of the day, I think the Buddha is right. You know, the middle way is the true way of freedom. And to get there, though, I mean, it, it took it took Indeed. a lot of uh, stretching and you know, um, exploring and expanding and inquiring. So. Yes, indeed. You know, I'm just, the question that I was asking, Karosh, in some measure, comes out of the ancient Jewish tradition, actually, should also say Egyptian tradition, of Kabbalah, at least as it landed in the um, original Jewish tradition. Uh, this sacred, secret teaching, mystical teaching of Judaism, was available only to people who had already been married, had children, and had been in the marketplace experiencing the grit of daily worldly life, the troubles, the stresses, the difficulties, the perplexities of being emotionally balanced and judicious, and in integrity while you're being tossed and turned in every single possible <laughs> direction. And that was the preparation needed to be wow. able to open the book only afterwards, classically. After age 40, did you qualify only after all of that to study the inner teachings, uh, mystical teachings of Kabbalah. So you see, I was kind of looking at that from this point of view of, you know, our experiencing the pulls and the pushes of daily living in the marketplace in our society and how that test helps prepare our heart and soul and body, for crying out loud, you know, for perhaps the even more rigorous tests and trials and tribulations of being on the spiritual path. Yeah, that's very powerful. Thank you for sharing that. I think you're absolutely right, Mitchell. I mean, at yeah. the end of the day, really, I think we all have to ask ourselves, you know, how is my relationship with myself and your higher power, whatever that is, and then how does that translate yeah. into your your um, unique vision of prosperity that's right for you, whether it includes money or not? And, sure. and how does it feel? I, I mean, I like the, the the way you're bringing the yeah. body into this because, you know, I always yeah. say, you know, the three things that are vital, I think, for our journey here with, with, with money is, number one, you know, you've got to get comfortable with the nuts and bolts of money, um, and we'll go into more details later. Number two, you know, these mental perceptions and stories that we either inherit or buy into or you know, or that are running through our mind that we don't pay attention to. Um, and then number three, I think really? the, the physical the physical GPS, I, I think the body part, you know, the yeah. part of us, the intuitive w inner wisdom where the body tells you through these signals, and that's what I mention a lot in the book, is, you know, when, when you have these sensations in there that feel good and they're like green blinking lights that say, hey, go, learning mm -hmm. how to trust those feelings. Um when you sense the, you know, the, you see the red blinking lights inside, you feel the tension, the constriction, the tightness, something is not right. Something is saying stop. Um, and so all we're trying to do here to simplify this is just, you know, let's slow down, pay attention, mindfully and attentively see if we can just kind of look and see where are we with our relationship, with ourselves, yeah. with money, with, with each other. And is this really generosity good. of energy flowing? Yeah. 
Really good. You know, I overlooked, and you're really reminding me in spades right now that another key aspect of your background training and professional work is as a somatic therapist. So you have gotten trained in listening to the signals of the body and the way the body speaks and reveals its own messages, its own wisdom, and ability to uh, act as an antenna in our society and when to when's the green light on, when's the red, you know, that's right. So, yeah. of yeah. course, you well, I mean, do need to that. Yeah, thank you. I mean, if more people had done that, Mitchell, in the last recession yeah. and trusted their gut feeling and said, hey, you know, I'm not going to invest more in this house or refinance my house or, you know, or lend this money or borrow this money, um, we probably wouldn't have had as bad of a crash or people would have at least yeah. stepped back. No, it doesn't feel good to do this. That's right. Bubbles wouldn't bubble up so much, you know. Um, they wouldn't. Could they you? wouldn't. And and I bet right? you. Yeah. Ni- yeah. I bet you ninety percent of the people in your neck of the woods in Wall Street would probably be able to pause if they did pause every half yeah. an hour. And said, "What am I really feeling about this? Does this feel good?" Oh boy. And made oh, decisions from God. a place of joy and gratitude and and real um, kind of alignment with our mind, body, and our checkbooks, they probably would make different yeah. decisions. Exactly. You know? Absolutely. And, and we're no well, different. I'm sorry? Like, what, I, what, what I want to say, Mitchell, is we're no different. Yeah. Each of us have our own little sure. world, you know, that's revolving around, you know, our, uh, this energy of money. And so I think, you know, we all kind of owe that to ourselves to pause and Absolutely. You know, you really articulate that really well in the book, Karosh. You really walk us through um, a series of assumptions, like you were saying before about your own parents, you know, your father saying um, money is the root of all evil, and your mother is saying uh, make it, don't spend it, otherwise you'll have nothing, and then you'll be nothing. You know, those are extreme polarities. And you had to metabolize both of them and come up with your own version of reality, you know. Could you walk us through the way you walk the reader through your book um, as to what kind of signs and signals we should be looking for inside ourselves or in the marketplace so people can resolve their money anxiety issues. I promise that to our audience. I want us to deliver. Oh, that's beautiful. That's, that's, these are good questions. I mean, let's just begin with the, the problems we have in our society so we can name the, the challenges we're facing. I mean, Americans, yes, beautiful. first of all, are more stressed than 144 other nations. They're 11th in life satisfaction, and they use two-thirds of the world's antidepressants and and you know the other thing is That's the Americans have blood. It's it's sad. I mean, this is going yeah. on not just in America, but in our own neighborhoods and possibly in, even in our own families. Um, but the American Psychological Association did a survey, and they found out that you know, eighty percent of those who took the survey around money said they had a tremendous amount of fear, stress, and anxiety around money. So they came up with the term money anxiety disorder. Um, which really is... Oh, that's the, actually in the DSM? Yes, yes. That is actually... It's in the diagnostic a, manual. Oh, right. God. I right. didn't know that. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's, so interesting. That's, you know, that's this, you know, people who are in any kind of transition, 
you know, whether it's a job change or asking for a raise or if you're a woman. And by the, by the way, of those 80%, the majority of the people who do suffer from anxiety, fear, and stress and worry are, are women. Um, understandably so, because a lot of them either, you know, their husbands leave, like my mother, or they die, yeah. or they ha- their kids grow up and go to college, and they've got to go build their career, or they've got to not depend on a man as much. And there's just, so there's legitimate worry. Sure. Which, which sure. then you know they're the caretakers aren't... of the children, and they right. have to be. Sh- they need that sense of yeah. security more than anyone. A yeah. man somehow makes it somehow, but a woman who has to be home with the children. Oh my God, that's a whole other story. No, my yeah, mother, it, my mom didn't want to, you know, she raised us. She said, you know, my dad could leave, but I'm not going to, I'm going to stay devoted and committed. And But the only thing is, you know, these worries, these concerns, they show up, you know, in forms of sensations such as constriction, you know, mm-hmm. tightness of the belly, you know, speed contraction. Rate, yeah. contraction, you're, you're kind of like feeling like you're on this spinning wheel, you know. And yeah. so what happens is triggering, bringing the mental somatic, incoherence, mental incoherence, emotional instability, yes. mm-hmm. feeling like you're living in a fog, you know, you mm-hmm. just can't get yourself up to sit and balance your checkbook or even call a friend about your financial situation, maybe. Yes. Um, isolation, maybe there's, you know, there's all kinds of uh, issues, you know, issues around sleeping. So, Unfortunately, when we're feeling threatened like this, or when there are these signals, and by the way, stress and anxiety and all that are just you know telling the body there's something wrong. You know, you've got to slow down, or you've got to address something that's up for you right now. Um, and but unfortunately, when we don't tend to them, like the respondents, majority of the people who responded to the, the survey. They tend to trigger this habitual survival response, this biological response that makes things even worse, and you end up in what we call fight, flight, freeze type response to your financial situation. And what you and I, what we're all trying to do here is try to understand how these survival instinct responses get triggered and how to, again, using mindfulness as a tool, along with the other tools that I mentioned in the book, but to really learn how to pause how to stay attentive, present, compassionate, and break things apart and say, look, you know, I mean, where am I with my financial situation? What's triggering these red blinking lights? And what are the steps I need to take in order to not, you know, be in this category of being stressed, worried, and, you know, confused or whatever? So that's the work. And it's it's a spiritual path. I mean, you know that. You've You've been through this and I've been through it. But it, mm-hmm. it's truly like going to the gym. You've got to commit to sitting with this every day, just like meditation, sitting on a cushion and yes. making, except making money in your finances, your your temple and your your spiritual focus. You know, in some ways, part, part yes. of your focus, not the whole focus, but a part of it. It's important because money is the energy that's everywhere, <clears throat> like oxygen. I'm going to add something here because this point that you just made, Kurosh, I think is so important. Because our, uh, how do I say, I don't want to say Judeo-Christian in this case, but kind of Christian uh, Mm. sentiment slash ideology and assumptions in our society that underlie suggest that spirituality is over here, above, Mm. 
and materialism is over materiality is over here below read below one is superior not just in physical position but rather in ethics in importance in overall world view and what you just said about money becoming a temple and to honor it as and our work for it toward it as a spiritual path is so turning the old world on its head and the spiritual well world put. in general, including the New Age world and yeah, the inherent well assumptions put. there too, right? Mm-hmm. And to Absolutely. make the earning of money a good thing, uh, a beautiful thing, a loving act toward oneself, loving kindness, you know, that is fascinating and i think just those phrases that you and i both shared could be really uh essential and transformative for people to rework in their own mind and brain their relationship to money mm, very well put i think mitchell i think I you know what i mean I, I really feel i you yeah. set it up you set it up and i i really appreciate it i mean <clears throat> at, at the, and it's not it's not like what happened with the money changers in the temple. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the fact that we tend to denigrate the material world in general and subordinate it to this notion we have of the spiritual world in general. And if we were to abandon both assumptions and just say life is a totality that has its material aspect and it has its spiritual aspect, it has its grosser and its subtler we'd be living different lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think I think it's when you get to that point, and this is what happened to me, you know, I left my real estate business and went for 12 years and just started meditating over here at Spirit Rock Meditation mm-hmm. Center in, in the Marin. Mm-hmm. Because I realized, you know, I was still living these separate lives that you're talking about. You know, money's over here, and yeah. there's still something kind of not nice about making money and being, you know, okay with having money flow through you. It's sort of like saying I'm not happy about having oxygen flow through me. I mean, it's wow, like, exactly. You know, yeah. when you're breathing in force. and out, yeah, yeah, you know, when you're breathing in and out, you can't hoard oxygen. You can't keep it out unless you want to die, and you can't, like, hold on to it and it's interesting when you mention all this is that money really is is such a beautiful transformative agent of transformation and change that it wants yeah. to come in and through us but it also wants to flow um yeah. and and so the question yeah. is, is we Very all know a lot of those of us who are listening you know when you sit and you're sitting on a cushion or when you're watching life kind of unfold and it's coming and going things are kind of moving in and out just like the breath if you can honor money the same way, um, getting out of the way, watching your mental perceptions, doing the nuts and bolts, and really having a better relationship, you'll notice money will just easily flow in and out just like the breath. You'll have mm. the money. And you may not. You may not have as much as you want, but you'll still be conscious around it. And, yeah. and, and, and then from there, you know, you can decide and choose, you know, where you want to go with it. Um, there's no guarantees. I do want to say that, just like life has no guarantees with anything. But yes. I think when we bridge that gap, Mitchell, I think what you're saying, what I'm hearing you say is when you build a bridge between the material yeah. and the spiritual, then it, it's you know we're in both worlds. We have our feet in both worlds. And it's our practice then to 
others. I mean, this is what we're trying to do here is help each other. Absolutely. Absolutely. Being in service. Yeah, absolutely. I I really come from the place of the uh, holistic and Taoist understanding that the material world is but, you were talking about a contraction, it's more of a, a condensation of the spiritual anyway it it is inherently spiritual and it's just on the other end of the polarity of the yin and the yang so it's not separate from spirit it just appears to be it's been it's it's you could say spirit materialized and if we could walk with that it just kind of changes the game same as our body some you know in that i was kind of referring rather generally to the christian view that the body is also less because it's part of the material is less than the spirit and i completely challenge that world view and say no 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 they are completely integral with and to each other and interdependent upon each other it's a different world view isn't it beautiful beautiful yeah i you know i think i think this is the, this is truly the new paradigm that that we're all trying to wake up to and i'm so yeah. glad you're, you're you're talking about this the one last little piece i want to add to this because i just came from Please. the you know i teach at the marin county jail and i work with women there and really you know at the, the, at the core of why people fall through the cracks whether they're rich or poor and you know um for whatever reason it's usually often because they get stuck in one area or the other and then there's suffering and they don't know how to manage their suffering or maybe they didn't have the right foundation but when we remind them you know hey you know what your body your body is is home this is your temple when you come back yeah. somehow just even recognizing you're here feeling your body again feeling those gut feelings and those intuitive sweet lovely places in your body um, yes. you get a lot more guidance <laughs> that is also spiritual which a lot of us forget about you know it's it's actually exactly. right exactly exactly you, know? you know there's the old idea Karosh, of you know there are millions of souls floating around in the etheric realm that are just praying I was going to say dying, praying to have a body because the body is the place of alchemical transformation without which spirit is just spirit and it cannot metabolize and it cannot alchemize energy. We are, right? And playing with money is one of those energies that we get to play with in this life. You know, beautiful. So, yeah, it's a. Let's let everybody know. know that you are listening to a better world with Mitchell J. Rabin. We are on every Wednesday at 6 p.m. live, and we're on all the time in our radio archive, which is at www.abetterworld.tv, and you can also receive our free A Better World newsletter. Just go to that same website abetterworld.tv and sign up for it in the right-hand column. It's there. It comes out only once a week, and it will announce to you who our guests are for our weekly radio show as well as TV show, which is aired every Monday evening at 7 p.m. in Manhattan. And, oh, you don't live in Manhattan? No worry. It's also at that same website. You can watch it. It's webcast, simulcast with the 7 p.m. EST airing here 
in New York City, so uh, you won't miss out on anything. Today's guest is Kurosh Astawari, who is the author of a really good book that I'd really encourage you to read and tune into, The Money Anxiety Cure. Kurosh lives in the Bay Area. He's been a very successful real estate entrepreneur, and he has been awarded this special recognition certificate this year by the United States Congress and a certificate of recognition by the California State Legislature. And he's been working with uh, the prisoners, especially women prisoners, with the work he does as a spirit rock dharma meditation teacher and money, how to make it, how to relate to it in a conscious way with awareness and how to build it in a way that can be of service to humanity. So it's really a such a pleasure to have you on, Karash. It really is. We've been talking about this for some time now, and I'm so glad that uh, you finally came on and we could have this uh, this really rich dialogue. You've done so much good work, and it's just a pleasure to to share it with this audience. What what is it that you teach your students in prison? Make believe you're, we are your students now. What do you want us to know? You know, Mitchell, uh, first of all, thank you again for having me on your show. I, I, I love the work you do, and I think it's invaluable that, you know, that we're having this dialogue. I think, you know, we're, yes, we're, we're all, you. again, in this, in this together, and we, we all need reminders. I mean, I, honestly, I love my book because I read it all the time. <laughs> I wrote it for myself, <laughs> so it, it helps It helps remember. you, right. It helps me remember all the stuff that we tend to forget. And really right. what I'm doing with the women in prison are no different than the people I do in affluent neighborhoods, poor neighborhoods, or anywhere else. It's just to remind them of who they really are, which are these amazing, incredible people with a tremendous amount of potential, with gifts and talents and you know beautiful bodies and minds and hearts, and to, to, to help kind of not only raise awareness around you know who they are where they are and 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 help them connect with that place of compassion you know around what's happening with them right now um mm-hmm. but also to reconnect them to kind of rewire that part of their mind that forgot that you know they have a very unique and special purpose and mission on this planet um, yes. And so there's a lot of, uh, you know, every time there's a, there's, a, there's a lesson or an opportunity to gain insight, there's a rewiring going on. There's this kind of new neural pathway that, that gets developed around the, the creating a new message, which is, hey, I can do what I want. I can do what I love. It's okay to, be, to forgive myself. It's okay to make money. It's okay mm-hmm. to have money. It's okay to share money. If you, you know, a lot of wealthy people have a hard time sharing or letting go of their money. Because they forget that, yeah, they forget life is short. It's impermanent. Everything is changing. Yeah, exactly, Um, exactly. And just because the women are in jail doesn't mean that the people outside of jail aren't as much in poverty and and lost and confused or in prison, you know, either. You know, I mean, everybody's dealing with, with some form of confusion and suffering. When they get stuck in those places, those old stories, um, and all we're doing, all I'm trying to do through mindfulness practice, we use theater techniques, um, we, we, we do inquiry practice, which is really just to drop in and, and look at what is it that, that, uh, that's flowing right now that's working, that feels good, whether they're creative ideas or whether they're um, 
and then mm-hmm. how, how do you how do you materialize it? So we want to make women that come out of jails entrepreneurs again, because a lot of them are mothers and they're single and they don't you know single mothers. Get yes. them reconnected with themselves, and you know the people outside who who've got anxiety and stress and worry, you know, just to help them learn how to manage those things, those those symptoms, and, and especially during the so holiday season. When you're when you're uh, counseling people, Kardash, and they don't, you know, you're telling them what incredible beings they are, and you're helping them. I mean, one of the things that landed them in jail, or landed people who are not in formal jail, but many of us have said, you know, we're all in the prisons of our own making. You know, it's a it's classic traditional idea in spiritual circles. Uh, how it seems that they don't believe that story that they're incredible and unique and remarkable that they've lost track of that they may say it to themselves consciously but unconsciously there's this whole if you will um backstory that says from their childhood of course you know in my role in playing in doing psychology you know you're not good enough you're not deserving you're not worthy a word i mentioned at the very beginning introduction how do you work with those deeply embedded belief systems well i mean that's a very good question i think if if you know, i just look at my own life i just realized it 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 really is a very slow gradual layer by layer process i mean you know you you gain insight for example those of us who meditate or went to meditate you start learning and seeing when you sit quietly and still you know wow this is really what's going on it's it's not just the outer world it's what's going on in here and when you gain insights around what feels pleasant what doesn't what's what are the stories that are passing through my mind kind of like different little movies or you know little scenes what have i bought bought into and what am i not willing to buy into anymore just that alone without judgment and without the uh, critical mind, um, helps these people, especially the ones that have fallen through the cracks that are in prison, to stop blaming themselves, stop being harsh uh, and, and, and criticizing themselves. So then they can take the next step and say, you know what, let me just feel into when I actually do forgive myself, how that feels, when I'm mm-hmm. kind with myself, how that feels. And usually there's this fuzzy, somatically, there's this fuzzy, velvety feeling in your belly, in your heart, um, mm. and, the, and then suddenly that then becomes Beautiful. a landing place where they could remember, yeah. hey, you know what, that's normal. That's the way I used to feel when I was 9 or 10 or 15 or whatever before I got mm. hurt or violated. And yeah. and just to remind them of what's normal, what's healthy, who they really are, believe it or not, I mean, this happened to probably you and I, all of us who, who do some mm-hmm. spiritual practice, the layers come off. Suddenly, you're now going to make better choices. The words that come out of your mouth, and by the way, how that relates to money, is you come out of this place of maybe feeling a little contracted. You can actually go out and ask for that raise. You can actually talk to your partner about money. You can actually discuss Mm. money with kids. You can actually decide if you want to lend the money to someone or not. You feel empowered to then choose you know, a path that is no longer the old path. It's a new, new beginning, a new path. You know that's unique to you, and 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 uh, you know, along with that feeling of gratitude, when you start feeling that place of gratitude around what's working, comes generosity, 
And then the, the fuzzy, sweet, loving feelings of gratitude then leads to, well, what can I do to make a change? What can I do to help support other people? So it's one thing after another. And for me, there was no shortcut. I've tried making a lot of money thinking, oh, my God, that's going to make me happy. It didn't. Then I went to Spirit Rock for 12 years and just did a whole Buddhist thing. And that mm-hmm. helped. It gave me insight. But it wasn't until I connected the somatic piece, the physical uh, part of this whole picture, to complete this process. You know, when I finally you know, did five years of somatic training and became a therapist and realized, you know, when there's a disconnect with the body, you have nowhere to land. There's nowhere to really feel the sensations. And, and mindfulness practice is, is a beautiful tool, but you've got to connect it to your body. Take those feelings, those sensations, and then, and then, and then keep building on it and then go out and see how that's going to support you around your finances. So it's a lot, but just in a nutshell. What, what is... Tell us about somatic. What is that particular uh, kind of work? Well, I mean, you know, we're dealing with... Is it, an aware, is it a level of awareness training? Is it hands-on work? Is it... it you know, well, it, I don't it could be... know what it is. Yeah, let me, let me share with you that, you know, actually it's, it's an amazing tool. It's just one more tool to put in your toolbox. I mean, you, if you've mm-hmm. got financial awareness, that's great. That's the first step. Mindfulness practice through meditation and cultivating clarity and presence through being focused and all that. That's another tool. The somatic piece is saying, you know what, I've got a body here, and I'm going to start paying attention to all the different signals and really understand what are they telling me. If I feel a tightness in my chest, what is that saying? So what we're doing is we're, or belly or jaw or whatever, and, and, and it's the body's way of communicating to you. It's the nervous yes. system communicating to in you. In its hey, language. You know mm-hmm. In its own language that, mm-hmm. hey, you know, something is either working or not working. And it's broken into the part of the nervous system we call the autonomic nervous system that's, that's really there to regulate your internal environment I don't want to get too technical, but it's divided into two parts. The sympathetic nervous system that protects you in case of an emergency. It mobilizes mm-hmm. you. And the parasympathetic. Yeah, just, and the parasympathetic. But the sympathetic, you know, there could be a real or an imaginary threat. So a lot of people sure. around their finances have this imaginary fe- threat or fear that they're going to be annihilated. Yes. My question to the audience or to the listeners is, what's really going on? You know, if you're feeling nervous and uptight... And you pause, sit, feel your feet on the ground, feel your back against the chair, close your eyes and really check in and ask yourself, is this a real story that's triggering the survival response? If it is, then get out of the way, take care of yourself, pay the bill, you know, pay your rent, get out of the way of a bus or whatever. But if it's not, <laughs> deal with it. Deal with it uh, in, a, in a loving, compassionate way and say, hey, this is not a story that I'm going to buy into because it's triggering my fight-flight-freeze response. It's not healthy. Now, what we're trying to do, Mitch, just like you said, we want to get into the parasympathetic mode as much as possible, but not always because you need the other stuff. You need to mobilize sometimes. You need to be in, you know, fight-flight-freeze sometimes is healthy. I mean, if you're, you know, being chased by a tiger and suddenly it's about to grab you, you may want to run and fight and freeze. You know what I mean? (laughs) You better. (laughs) You better. Yeah. That's right. Hopefully you will. But the key it's is the result of it, millions of years of evolution. I don't think we want to turn that function off. You know, no, we don't want to Trungpa turn that function Rinpoche off. said that fear is packed with intelligence. 
just make sure to use it when it's needed and not the other time. Exactly. You know. Now, around, around so, money, unfortunately, if that's, these parts are running us all the time and our nervous system's getting yeah. shot, then it's like having your yes. foot on the gas pedal and on the brakes at the same time. You've got, you've got your foot Too much on cortisol the in the blood. Exactly. Now, yeah. what we're proposing here in the, in the book is to pause, take a breath, get organized, get comfortable with the numbers, get support. Even in New York, you know, they've got a lot of nonprofits that help people, um, you know, do counseling around their finances, starting a business. Pick up the phone, mm-hmm. make a call, talk to a friend, and that calms the body down. Your yeah. nervousness will go away. And then suddenly you can start making decisions from a clear, conscious place rather than from a place of worry, fear, stress, anxiety, jealousy, envy, whatever it is that's driving you. Um, one last thing, Mitch, and that's if we don't do that, then everything that's unresolved gets projected onto your money and then gets sent out into the world, and then you create more mm. of the same kind of stuff. Um, God, why not yes. send out love, joy, peace, contentment? You know, oh, and, yes. And, so that's you know, the, those show. people who write... Uh, thank you on each check that they send out. Uh, they thank the person they're paying a bill to for the honor and privilege of being able to buy the service, even if it's electricity or, you know, water, even so important these days in California Beautiful. and everywhere. Beautiful. You know, it's a really interesting, you could say, inversion of the standard uh body, you know, psychosomatic pattern that we have set up about uh, paying money. And Beautiful. when you bring, as you're saying, love and joy around it to the gift of it, both originally to us and then us to others, it's very powerful, you know? Beautifully. Well I, put. And, well, and yeah. So here's, here's the practice, yeah. Mitch. I mean, when next time people get Please. their bill, next time you get your bill, you get a water bill or something, and you know, just hold the envelope and notice what comes up for you breathe and then instead of rushing to open it and then saying oh my god i got another bill hold the bill and like you said feel that gratitude of my god this is water this is an amazing resource someone's managed to get this water into my tap so i can take a shower and my kids could wash brush their teeth feel the gratitude and then when you write the check pick put the checkbook in front of you feel the gratitude of having the funds or maybe you don't i don't know but whatever you're feeling honor it and then when you're writing a check, write it with that feeling of joy and gratitude and appreciation. And then that right mm. there will shift the neural pathways and you'll have a new oh, attitude yes. approach. Oh, yes. It's a simple oh, practice yes. you know, that we can all do. But when you're Let handing me... out that dollar bill to the homeless guy, look in his eyes and say, you know, feel that joy of generosity and then you hand it to him rather than, here you go, you know, mm. throw it in his hand. Do it differently this time. Exactly. Try something different. You're about to walk into the store and usually buy your usual thing. You may want to pause and say, what does it feel like just to kind of feel into, do I need this item? Is this really the right, especially during the holiday season when it's crazy and frantic out there? Pause mm-hmm. and feel and then make a decision from a place that feels aligned with your mind, body, spirit, and checkbook. Yes. That's beautiful. It's almost like you get paid twice. <laughs> you get paid by paying. I mean, you get paid by the joy that you're bringing forward in the transaction. Exactly. I mean, at the end of the day, Mitch, none of this stuff belongs to us. 
I mean, we're sharing energy, we're sharing oxygen, we're sharing love, money, circulates. Really it has to circulate. And it's, yes. why not come through you and me and others who are committed to being a caretaker for it and doing the right things yes. to get it? You know, yes. hopefully the right job, the right work or right exchange of services or goods, but to consciously be able to manage this energy so it goes out and does something good for the world because right now we need that more than anything. God, that's really true. I got to tell you, I mean, I feel like I'm frequently dealing up. Let me lie on your couch for a moment here. Um, <laughs> Kurosh, you know, in my business dealings, of which there are many, uh, I and in fact in real estate as well, to some extent, way, way different than yours. But in um, one case, you know, I, uh, I was to go into a partnership with somebody and then we kind of uh, morphed it into that I was simply going to lend him money over some time, and he was going to be purchasing real estate and paying me back kind of an ample uh, interest rate. And, you know, I agreed to the change in terms. But to this day, even though, you know, know, for me, you know, $50,000 is a very big sum of money. And... He has not returned any of it, but with promises to do so. Well, those go back some time now. But I feel that there are issues, and this is just one of many, many around this, um, issues of integrity where people just simply do not keep their word, and then it escalates into what can become a legal matter, and certainly a stressful one. And when, you know, X, Y, and Z is agreed to, and it is not fulfilled as agreed to, other things come up. What would you say in a situation like that? How do you deal with that yourself? Because certainly you've run into these, this is a standard kind of uh, almost cookie-cutter kind of issue between people. You know, Mitch, you bring up such an an important point and, and, and something we all grapple with because at the end of the day, as you said, it's truly about integrity. I mean... I, I witnessed my mother and how she went from a, a you know single mom knocking on thousands of doors with no English, saying, "Hey, do you want to do you want to sell the house? Do you want to buy a house?" She only had a she had a car with one door working. It was the driver's <laughs> side. So people had to pile in through the driver's side to back in the seventies to go look at a house. But she knew it was interesting. She had the humility to just stand in integrity and say, "You know what? Yes. This is who I am right now. I got three kids and." As a result, people loved her for her simple, honest presence. She was able to sell a lot of homes, eventually buy a lot of homes. And the first yeah. thing she said to me, and I know your parents probably said the same to you, Kurush, you can't get anywhere without integrity, without honesty, without keeping your word. Unfortunately, we live in a world where people just we are dealing with you know it's like the light and the dark it's just it's it not everyone is able or willing to keep their word and and yes. and it it's sometimes it, it boggles my mind how is it that x y and z and can completely you know you know renege on their agreements and feel okay about it or maybe they just can't do it but they're not making an effort to do something and there's a point where the lesson for me and for everyone all of us who've been in this situation, Mitch, is to, with compassion, 
you know, with empathy and compassion, just say, I could listen next time more carefully to my own intuitive wisdom, make sure, and this is not to shame anybody out there, but it's just to say, you know, I, I know sometimes when it doesn't feel right to give out that 5,000, 10,000, 100, whatever it is. It doesn't mm-hmm. feel right. And now I know, and that could have been the greatest lesson. Maybe that's, unfortunately, the lesson I have to learn to finally trust that ability to say, no, thank you. I love you, but I just can't do it. It doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, the, and then the other, the other, so empathy, compassion for ourselves, and then the other person, which is really hard to have compassion for someone who's reneging on their agreements. But really, I, I, after seeing my mom being cheated, many times and having to start all over again from con artists all over the place, we finally realize, you know, it's like a muscle. You just keep learning and learning and learning, and you finally keep loving yourself and saying, I'm never going to do this again, and I'm going to go out and make more money because I, you know, I have a lot to offer. There's no real answer, but I think that's, mm-hmm. I don't know what else you can do, really. Yeah. Um, no, I was know, just wondering how you, you, you answered it beautifully. I mean, it's just, it's sort of like life, and it's sort of hard for those of us who really value integrity and to keep our word, and when we say something, we do it. Or we revise what we said quickly, you know, and change our promise or commitment, and then, you know, it's okay. But uh, when done, you know, in a timely way. But it's truly bothering and, 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 it is, and you know, Mitch, it's okay sometimes to, to take action. I mean, I, I want to say, just because we do all the spiritual practice and meditate and be Buddhist and all that, doesn't mean we have to stay passive. I mean, this is one of the challenges in the spiritual community. People Absolutely. don't realize, you know, it's that balance between being a warrior and being this nurture kind of, you know, goddess, mother energy kind of person, but you've got yeah. to have it all. Pull you out do. whatever you really do. You you're you're yeah. you're highlighting, Karosh, the idea of the distinction, contrast between compassion and idiot compassion. So, <laughs> you know, I'm in a situation of suing somebody, you know? Yeah. And yeah. that's you know, that's actually and and it doesn't mean I don't care about them or love them, not at all. But uh, maybe I love myself and respect myself and my own principles more than I uh value their sloppiness and unconsciousness, whatever it may be that is keeping them from doing the right thing. Exactly. I think that's that's a very uh, that's a, that's staying in integrity, I think. That feels yeah. like the right thing to do. I we, do, too. do we do we do need to take action and take care of yourself. I, I mean it's sort of like that that saying tie your camel before you go pray in the mosque or you know Exactly. So right. to, make sure you believe in God your and tie up your horse. Or your camel, Tie up your as horse the case may be. <laughs> exactly. But before I let you go, I want—I'd love for you, and you shared some of these in your book, *The Money Anxiety Cure*. Uh, some of the um, stories of your students, some of them who were uh, got out of jail and had a new life because of what they've learned. Uh, with you in your classes and others who, you know, just others that uh, followed your footsteps and so um, and began to prosper. Will you share one or two of your favorite stories with us? 
Yes, I would. I would love to. I mean, we've had everything from white-collar criminals who lived in $10 million mansions and, you know, they ended up in, in my classes in the jail and who, you yeah. know, had to re- understand what what happened to them and why they got there. And, you know, yeah. I had a woman, for example, who, who then fell in love with meditation and then became a somatic counselor and a MBSR, yeah. mindfulness-based stress reduction teacher, you know, John Kabat-Zinn's work. So she's yes. outside now, got out, and that's what she's teaching. Instead of doing criminal Beautiful. activity, she's helping people wake up. Others end up working at Whole Foods and, you know, get, you know, honorary distinction in our society by doing really good work. I've had a um, Goldman Sachs guy from your area who ended up in my class, and he finally said, you know, I've had it with that world. You know, I yes. took drugs to numb out. I was in so much pain, and now I just want to work in a bookstore. So he works in a local mm. bookstore, and he learned mindfulness Beautiful. and somatic tools. And I wanted to also mention Beautiful. to your uh, audience, if they'd like, we have a, a quiz on my website, uh, themoneyanxietycure.com, that they could take that would help them kind of understand a little bit deeper around their relationship with money. And, mm. and wherever you're at, just know we're all dealing with the same challenges, you know, the ups and downs, the changes, the, you know, the, the you know, the ability to get up and go out and, 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 you know, make those requests or start these conversations around money. Just know that when you connect with yourself through compassion and, and love and understanding, you know, it's the right thing to do. It's the most, in, you know, high integrity way to live. Um, you know, you owe that to yourself and, and of course, the planet right now. God knows. God yeah, knows. Yeah. Wow. That's just, you know, that's a lot. And it's beautiful to hear that there have been numerous success stories of people. And what's interesting yeah, is that the yeah, hundreds, oh, God, that yeah. success is um, not measurable by any one yardstick for that one fellow who was once at Goldman Sachs and probably making what they call a killing on Wall Street. And I think we really ought to examine that phrase very closely because it literally is a murdering yeah. usually of a lot of people in some continent somewhere, if not our own, um, yeah. for them to earn the kinds of revenues they do. I don't even want to use the word earn, but I should say receive, if not deal um for him at this point after his journey um in jail with you through drugs uh is to work in a bookstore i mean and for him that's the thing he feels called to do that's very beautiful really it it is and mitch i just want to again just just emphasize it's your it's our unique vision and path towards prosperity that matters and as you said you can't quantify yeah. prosperity and success it's your own unique way so find all of us have to find our own unique approach and our own unique way to yeah. contribute so you know that's the main thing that that i wanted to emphasize yes i really appreciate it you know i've used the phrase many times you know um I'm very, very rich, Crush, and someday I'll even have some money. <laughs> you are indeed, my friend, and, and, and the work you're doing is incredibly rich and very useful and helpful for thank everyone. You. Thank you so much. Thank you. God bless you. Well, thank you so much for being on with me today and uh, sharing with our audience, you know, some of the, the magic of your work and uh, wisdom of your path. My pleasure. Really my pleasure. Beautiful. It's an absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. We'll do it again.
Okay. Crush Kostawari, the author of The Money Anxiety Cure. And your website again is themoneyanxietycure.com? Exactly, yeah. Beautiful. Great. Well, thanks again, Karush, and we will be speaking very, very soon. Thank you, Mitchell. Have a wonderful evening. Thanks. You do now. Bye-bye. Wow, that was a really, oh, I just appreciate that dialogue. What does it feel like to talk about those things that make you squirm a little bit? Money, sex, politics, religion? Come on. Come up with them. You know what they are. And uh, death? You bet. These are the things that make humans squirm and get a little fidgety and they begin to question themselves and wonder where they stand with these very germane matters for life on planet Earth. And we all need to reckon with some awareness and perhaps with some wisdom. And as Karash kept reminding us, listen to the body, listen to the signals of the body, the sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous systems are in action and speaking to us in one way or another through sensations. That's the language of the body. And uh, it's up to us to tune in. So uh, what a rich conversation. I so appreciate Kurosh's work. And he's from the Bay Area. Going to be out there myself rather soon. So I really very much appreciate what he's doing and bringing to the table. And he also exemplifies something I'd just love to share as well, which is that after somebody has become materially uh, wealthy, we use the phrase, or comfortable in a way that or are recognized by our very ordinary, conventional, standard measures as being wealthy, yes, um, that a man like him has the heart and the mind to then share with others. Share on the level of, yes, money in whatever ways he may, but his knowledge as well as in his experience and decided to then, after having made a good sum of money, to then turn inward and begin to develop his inner wealth, his inner life, and did that in this case through studying mindfulness meditation and taking that with the material understanding of how to make it, how to um, work with it, how to relieve anxiety around it, and help others really succeed materially as well as spiritually, is really a beautiful example of what we can all embody. You know, it's not just about me, me, me. Korosh kept emphasizing the idea of flow, of circulation, that we don't come in with it, we don't go out with it, basically. Uh, so it needs to be shared. I love quoting, many of you know this, Dr. Jesse, uh, Reverend Jesse Jackson's phrase that we all took different boats here, but we're all in the same boat now. And we better start to get used to that idea because our prejudices and our biases and our subjective um, valuations sometimes of things and of each other become cumbersome 
and we need to work with those deeply rooted prejudices, conditionings that we're all subject to. It's just another touchy subject that nobody really wants to deal with. I had my nose kind of pressed into it through work I did in graduate school in psychology through what was called group relations conferences, Tavistock work from Tavistock, England, the work of uh, Bion, B-I-O-N. Very interesting in working with issues around authority and then other subjects that are related to that, those subjects that we like to deal with least, but know we have to deal with most, such as, guess what? Money! And yes, sex. And yes, religion, belief systems, faiths, politics, and I could say taxes or I could say death. I'll say both uh, because they all of these subjects are the subjects. Health is other, another one. Um, self-love, I would say, really is another. There's much in our society that teaches us that there's something wrong with that. And, uh, but to love others is good, but to love ourselves is egotistical or narcissistic. Wow, we, such interesting impressions we receive as infants, let alone as children. And frankly, I like to go back to our prenatal days to we went from the zygote to a multicellular being. And during the course of those trimesters, we are actually absorbing a tremendous amount of energy in the form of frequencies, sound vibration, tonality of the voices of our mothers especially, and our fathers, and the parents of both. Wow! And we're absorbing and beginning to metabolize and interpret reality even then, in the earliest days of our beginnings. It's very humbling. The good news, of course, is that there is neuroplasticity. There is mutability of all things. And even though it may appear that we are stuck in a certain mental frame, addiction of any sort, including to money, by the way, or including greed, which I have blown the whistle on so many times that I feel is one of the deep pathologies of our current society and leading us down a path that is just the opposite one we really want to be on. We have the full, whole ability, according to physics and chemistry, to shift our biology and shift from one mindset to another, to go from an addiction, whether that's to a substance or an idea or a feeling for that matter. I think that's where so much of the addictions we all deal with come from addiction to a certain kind of feeling, can be mutated, can be transmuted. And that's very, very powerful. And our own intuition lets us know that, as well as these days science lets us know that. And it's very interesting. So when Karosh talks about transforming 
the anxiety around money by taking it out of a generalization and getting specific and then because of his practice sitting with it being aware of the sensations in your body around it and letting them come and letting them go wow you've just created space around that thing whatever it may be that was causing anxiety (laughs) what happens when you create space it no longer whatever that thing is no longer has the same grip it becomes unstuck it becomes unglued You've allowed space around it. You've created space around whatever the it may be. Fill in the blank. In this case, of course, we've been talking about money today. But you can also substitute anything into that blank spot in that sentence. Interesting. And this is what we have when we talk about understanding the larger holistic Um, spiritual and materialist continuum and we all find our place along that path about how to shift the consciousness and what I'm saying is the science the quantum science, quantum mechanics and neuroscience is giving us the fundamental scientific corroboration of how these mechanisms work of transformation very powerful and it underlies so much of Karosha's good book so go to our website abetterworld.tv you can pick it up there go under newsletter or uh, the show will be archived at abetterworld.tv in a matter of hours so grab the link share it with your friends and your loved ones and your business partners and uh, let's use money to be in service to creating a better world. That's our game, folks. You know, that's our game here, and I believe it's really our game everywhere. And we're dealing with an incredibly dicey, confused, and unconscious world in so many respects. And there's so much yearning for love, for connection, for warmth, for ease of living. And money can be one of those pathways, one of those pathways that can help to alleviate suffering and help to ease our own lives and create some sense of security, at least buy land and plant your own seeds, folks. I mean, there are so many creative, wonderful things that can be done. And I like to think of money as an expression of love as a way we show each other love. It's only one of many, many ways, God knows. But it's nice to think of our giving to each other uh, or things that money can buy. Food sometimes is needed. A shelter is needed. Medicine sometimes is needed or herbs. And uh, it's a way of interacting with each other in a way that can be very meaningful. So on that note, I want to just thank you all for tuning in today and listening. I so appreciate it. 
It's always a pleasure to be of service to you. And remember that A Better World is a nonprofit now, a 501c3. So any donation, I like to think of them instead of as investments, you are doing yourself and us a tremendous service to keep us on the airwaves and expanding on the airwaves in radio and TV and the other media we use, our newsletter, website, etc., social media. And, uh, you know, it's like an investment in your own future. And especially around the holidays, you can enjoy the tax deduction. So appreciate your participation in what we do. And this is one way for you to meaningfully contribute and participate. So on that note, thank you again. You can always reach me at mjr at abetterworld.net, mjr at abetterworld.net. So appreciate your feedback, your comments. Keep them coming, folks. It's always a pleasure. And it helps me grow and learn and tune in to what your interests are so our show can best serve them as well as what I feel is important for people to learn. So, happy holidays to one and all, and I look forward to seeing you all next.